the lawyers come to you and they're like, well, is this woman going to testify for me in court if if he sues us? And you have to go back mm. to your source who might be feeling a little bit <laughs> tense maybe or a little bit nervous and say, by the way, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, but it might happen. Um, you might have to stand up in court and be cross-examined by, you know, the, Australia's most br- brutal QC mm. over this. So are you still okay to go with it? Hello and welcome to the Writer's Hour. I'm your host, Adam Burnett, and with me is our producer, Sam Ferris. Hello, Sammy. G'day, AB. And Sam, we have an extra special episode this week. We were lucky enough to be joined by Sydney Morning Herald journalist, Jacqueline Maley, who together with Kate McClymont broke a very significant story at the end of last month regarding former High Court Judge Dyson Hayden and a string of alleged cases of sexual harassment. Sam, there was some incredible investigative reporting done in this one, which is really the theme of this episode. Yeah, absolutely, AB. It was more than two years' work. And what I found really insightful was the old school approach that both Jackie and Kate took. It was just picking up the phone, cold calling these people in what was a really sensitive subject. And Jackie explains how... It might be the 25th minute of a 30-minute phone call where she finds that nugget, that piece of gold, that little tidbit, that that piece of information that extends the story or opens up another door. Um, I think it's a great piece of advice for young journalists and aspiring reporters. I also found it very interesting how terrified she was when the story first broke and how she was very aware of the public backlash. Uh, I mean, as it turned out, it was all very positive towards the reporting because they did such a great job and it's such a, a big story. I mean, I get a little bit worried about when I publish a cricket squad selection story. I mean, they pale in comparison. But uh, before we hear from Jackie, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Writer's Hour, wherever you get your podcast from. Yes, that's right, Sammy. And listeners should also take note that this episode is more the Writer's Half Hour this week, but I wasn't quibbling with Jackie about the time she was able to afford us. In fact, we're extremely grateful for having her on the show at all. So a big thanks to Jackie and for the rest of you, enjoy the show. Jackie, hi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Adam. Well, it's been a busy uh, month or so for you this these recent weeks and we are going to be talking predominantly today about the incredible work really that you and Kate McClymont have done on the Dyson Hayden story. But I thought we'd start back at the beginning. Could you tell us how and why you got into journalism originally? Um, yeah, I well, interesting. I I mean, I was always interested in writing as a kid. Um, like it was just something that I always loved to do. There was, there was a lot of journalists in my family, so I suppose it was something that you know was available as a as an aspiration. And and then I but then I did a law degree and I sort of got sidetracked into that and I ended up working at a law firm for a little while. But I always I was sort of half in half out with law, like I. I did, you know, I worked on the university um, magazine and I edited the law school um, review and I was always kind of trying to do that sort of stuff. So that's really where my heart lay, I suppose. And then I worked for a little while at this sort of glass and marble, you know, law firm in the middle of the CBD um, with these really stuffy, uptight um, <laughs> lawyers. Um, and it was actually quite quite a sexist place now that I look back on it. Um, and I just was like, oh, my God. This, and I was, I was working, I was doing sort of research assistant and then I got a clerkship doing sort of, um, you know, in litigation. And you're just like wading through mountains of documents and it's so detail-driven and it's incredibly hard but also quite sort of boring work, I suppose. And I just felt like I, this is not for me. I'm not cut out for this. I went overseas and while I was overseas, I applied for a um, cadetship at the Sydney Morning Herald and 
that was that really. Um, I swapped the law job for an extremely impoverishing wage <laughs> um, at the at the Sydney Morning Herald and I never looked back. But a less boring uh, job, hey? Yeah, I mean, it's just such a fun job. Um, it's, you know, from the moment I stepped into the newsroom, I was like, okay, these are my people. This is what I like to do. I think a lot of journalists feel that way. It's just, um, it's fun. It's interesting. You're surrounded by really um, funny, irreverent, mad um, and intense kind of people uh, and yet you get to do your own thing and you just get to do what you work is so bright like so varied you know you get to and you get to meet incredible people and just ask them intensely personal and nosy questions just upon meeting them because you've got this free pass because you're a journalist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You did mention there that part of what turned you off with the law job was I think you said wading through mountains of documents and uh, detail driven uh, which is exactly what you've been doing (laughs) with this Dyson Hayden story I imagine to some degree but with a different end result and I'm sure you felt along the way as if it was really leading somewhere quite important. Now, I mean, for our listeners, this story that broke, I think, at the end of June or mid to late June um, by you and Kate McClymont, your colleague there at the Sydney Morning Herald, it detailed the years and the myriad cases of alleged sexual harassment against Hayden, who is a former High Court judge. Some of these were brought to light via a High Court inquiry and others via the investigations of yourself and Kate. So where did it all begin for you guys? I read somewhere that this was a two-year investigation. Yeah, well, um, Kate got wind. Uh, after, Kate did a bunch of stories, sort of Me Too-style stories, um, which everyone I'm sure will remember on Don Burke and Craig McLaughlin in particular. Mm-hmm. And around that time, as you can imagine, she just got flooded with, you know, um, tips from people. And I think that's when she found, she first got wind that Dyson Hayden, um, was facing allegations of from, from some of his former associates. But obviously the um, the process with the High Court, because those women then um, basically got legal representation and took their complaints directly to the High Court and the High Court started its own investigation process, which was very proper and very good in my view. We, so that, that sort of took some time. That happened in about 2019. And then um, separately I had also gotten a tip um, about Dyson Hayden and I sort of it's hard I don't want to <laughs> you've got to be careful what you say because you don't want to give away sort of sources and stuff but I, I got a I got a tip let's just say and I spoke to Kate about it and she was like well look I'm already I've I've known about this since 2018 let's work on it together so we, then we started we joined forces and I was particularly looking at Oxford because I knew that something had happened um at Oxford University in terms of his visiting professorship that had, that had ended um, under something of a cloud after he allegedly harassed um, a philosophy, or sorry, not a philosophy, a PhD candidate uh, at the university who is still there. So that was sort of pretty sensitive because we knew, I, I found out who it was and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but, but you have to be very sensitive in the, the approach, obviously. So anyway, um, we joined forces and then um, hit the phones. And I mean, it was, this one actually wasn't a lot of document, a, a lot of document stuff. Like there was, um, there was the High Court investigation, which obviously there was some documentation there. And then I did an FOI of Oxford University to see what, if anything, what sort of paper trail they'd left um, in terms of Dyson Hayden's appointment and the the end of his tenure. But other than that, it was actually just old fashioned blanket calling as many people as I could and as many people as Kate could and you know we had lists of people and every person that we spoke to 
we asked them if there was anyone else that they suggested that we spoke to. So it sort of um, was like this exponential growth, I suppose, in um, mm. in phone calls, and it ended up being a big web. And and that that as well actually has its challenges because we we knew that we had some women, and we didn't want to kind of scare the horses. So the, and we also knew that it was a pretty hot story. And the more you ring around, particularly in the legal profession, which is very gossipy, and you know. Um, very sort of tight-knit, we thought the more we ring around, the more people are going to start talking about this. And Kate's name in particular is like a big name. So if people mm. find out that Kate McClymont is asking questions about Dyson Hayden, people are going to talk, you know. Mm. And is there a concern there about competitors picking up on the story or is it? Yeah, yeah, which actually did. So we ended up having to rush out the story because we got a tip that that someone else was going to, that Channel 7 actually was going to run a little news item about the High Court investigation on the nightly news on the Tuesday at 6pm and we were like, okay, well, we have to publish at like 4. Um, so we did that and we got the story out there first. And then, of course, we had like so much detail and we, mm. we, we were all set to go with all of our stories because we weren't, we hadn't just written about the High Court investigation, we'd written much more widely. Um, yeah, so it was like a lot, like it was some documents, but it was also just talking, talking, talking and trying to, you know, you've got to have really sensitive conversations and be really mindful of people's needs and their emotional state um, and, you know, the professional risks that they're taking. Mm. And often it was, you know, just a question of speaking to people over a long period of time. So, you know, you can't ring someone, cold call someone and then be like, you know, let's go on the record with this horrible story mm. um, and put your name to it and also can we get a photo of you. We, we were talking to people over a long time and a lot of the women we spoke to were like, well, how many other women are talking? And they was, you know, and you can't actually answer that till almost like the day before Prince. So it all sort of like, but then it all just sort of came together. Like we had all these disparate threads um, and it all came together. And we knew that he'd done, he, you know, these allegations came from a, from a bunch of different settings. We were interested in the institutions as well because we knew it was a bigger story than just one man. Mm, that has since unfolded in, in your follow-up stories quite significantly, actually. But I just wanted to ask, with the findings of the report, how much did they dictate what you could publish with regard to your own investigation? I mean, if the inquiry, the High Court inquiry had, say, cleared Hayden, would you still have been able to document all that you had discovered or would that have then become a real, I guess, legal minefield? Um, no, I don't think we would have. I don't think we would have nearly had the journalistic and legal cover that we did mm -hmm. um, if it hadn't been for that high court investigation. Frankly, so um, we could still have published, but we probably would have needed a lot more women to go on the record. And you know, then you have the lawyers come to you and they're like, "Well, is this woman going to testify for me in court if if he sues us?" And you have to go back mm. to your source, who might be feeling a little bit. <laughs> tense maybe or a little bit nervous and say by the way it's probably not going to happen but it might happen um you might have to stand up in court and be cross-examined by you know the australia's most br brutal qc mm. over this so are you still okay to go with it you know that's a difficult position and it's almost impossible really um so look the, there was a lot of um a lot of cover given by that high court investigation and we we were still very worried about the legals as was um as was our lawyer I might add <laughs> but um but yeah that gave us a lot of that gave us a lot more certainty because obviously it was an almost an unimpeached you know unimpeachable sort of process mm -hmm. um legally so 
Yeah, it's a nice backup to have. And But I, as you mentioned, I guess, even getting these women to speak in the first place is is something of a, an achievement or a breakthrough. Or You mentioned there was long discussions over long periods of time. Is that what it was about, a situation where you're just trying to build some trust and letting these women know that you're coming from a, a good place here and, and going from there? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's like you've got your journalistic hat on, mm. which is like obviously you want people, you know, to get on the record with as much detail as possible. Um, and, like, let's be honest, I mean, the journalistic calculus is like, you know, the, the, the worse the alleged transgression, the better the story, mm. right? So that you, you're looking at all of that, that's you as a journalist, but as a human being, you're like, well, if it was me, would I want to do it? And how can I ask someone on a personal level to make us make this kind of sacrifice? And, mm. you know, so you just, when I was talking to people, I was like, well, this is what I think. And I think that it would be a great thing. And I think this story is really important to be told. And the more women we have, the more sort of ballast we have to the story. But at the end of the day, it's your life and your consequences. And you obviously make the decision and it's completely in your control. And also you, if, if people say yes, you can try to give them as much control as possible. So, you know, that you check everything with them and you stay in touch with them and you try to sort of shepherd them through it. Um, and some people are more vulnerable than others. Like, you know, we did, there, was, there were stories that we, we haven't published because people were too scared or that for whatever reason they didn't want to talk on the record. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you just like you can try to convince someone and then you just basically have to respect their decision, obviously. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's up to people. And, and, it, it's sort of, you know, particularly for people who've been victims of this or alleged victims of this behaviour, there's like, on the one hand, they want to talk because I think a lot of the women actually express guilt for not having spoken up sooner. And that I think is the flip side, the psychological flip side of silence, which I think is can be really corrosive for people actually mm. that, um, that, okay, they so they escaped the career consequences or the public consequences or whatever they might have thought would happen if they spoke up or made a complaint at the time, but then they have this internal battle, which can be really hard, I think. You mentioned earlier about hitting the phones. Is it a situation where you hit the phones and it's a domino effect? And if so, where is the starting domino? I mean, what's the first phone call that you make here? Um, I don't think it really matters what the first phone call is, um, only that you just keep making a lot of phone calls. And, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in this stuff at all. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm sure I made a lot of blunders as well because, you know, at, there were certain points where we thought we were going to scare the horses um, a little bit because we were calling so widely. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any particular art to it in a way. I, I do think that it's persistence, like, and like I said, like I really don't consider myself an expert in this stuff, but, you know, you have a tip, you think something might be there and then you just call as many people as you can. And once you've, I mean, we, we, knew, we knew that it was there. We knew that the story was there to be uncovered. So you sort of think, well, it's almost like it's a, it's a resource that, you've, that is there to be mined. Someone's going to mine it sooner or later. So you just have to keep digging. So, so it's almost volume in this situation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, we were targeted. And I, I was racking my brains trying to think of anyone I knew who'd been to Oxford or who might know someone who went to Oxford. And that's, I suppose, where your contact book is kind of helpful. Um, so, um, and we had just lists of names, yeah, of people, people we were calling through. Um, and even, you know, 
it's just very time consuming because even the people who are like, no, I don't know anything, you might still sit on the phone with them for a half an hour um, and you, you might gain the tiniest bit of background information or after, you know, in the 29th minute of that phone call, they mm. might say something that you're like, oh, hang on, like that's useful, what about that? Um, so you've just got to devote a bit of time to it. What about the strategic rollout, Jackie, of these stories? Once the first one drops, is have you guys got like a whiteboard of bullet points where it's like, okay, then on Tuesday we'll drop this, Wednesday we'll drop this, or is it more playing as you go? Um, well, a little bit of both, but we, 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 we did have to rush it out, as I said before, so we weren't, we were probably a little bit more chaotic than we would have liked to have been. But, but yeah, we, we, we knew that um, obviously we were going to leave with the High Court investigation. That was big news and that was the stuff that everybody else could break um, because it was, you know, going to be available um, to, in the public domain. And so we, we, we went with that first, but we had a sort of taste of some of the other stories and then we gave um, more detail. You know, so the, probably the first two or three days were quite planned, but also we had to include a lot of reaction. And then we got people calling us, so we had a few stories of extra other women um, and we were trying to sort of, you know, like I said, there was a whole bunch of stuff that we got that we hadn't been able to get over the line and, you know, we really wanted to print in those days afterwards but we couldn't. Um, just to give the listeners an example uh, of what has gone to print, there's been plenty, but even on July 6th there was news that came out that more than 500 women in law had signed an open letter to the Attorney General calling for the establishment of an independent body for complaints about the judiciary. Um, Jackie, I also wanted to ask you, when a story like this drops initially, um, just on a human level, is it nerve-wracking? I mean, are you uh, watching your Twitter feed or the internet or your phone just wondering, oh, gosh, what what are the reactions going to be here or do you feel like I've got my ducks in a row, I'm okay? Um, oh, no, it's terrifying. Like <laughs> I, I, I barely slept all week and I was very, very tense. Um, and, you know, just in a state of heightened anxiety. And I know Kate, um, you know, Kate's done so much of this and she's dealt mm. with, I mean, you know, she's written about people who, you know, make death threats that are quite credible because they're mobsters or whatever. So she, she's very, very familiar with this, but she st- still says she gets like the, you know, the pit of anxiety, the sick feeling in the stomach. So I don't think that ever goes away. And like during the week, you're sort of like, Really, I was really adrenalised and excited, but I, I, can't, I wouldn't exactly say I was like enjoying it, if you know what I mean. Like it was pretty, it was pretty anxiety provoking. I was like, okay, let, I just want to get all this done and get to the end of the week and be like, okay, you know, we got it out. Um, so yeah, it's to, it's on a human level, I think it's really awful. And like, you know, I wasn't able to really see my kid like the whole week. Like, I there's no way as a mother of a young child that I would be able to do that on an ongoing basis. Um, I don't think. It's just too much. Uh, sleep's important when you're a parent too, isn't it? And yeah. If you're not sleeping, you're in trouble. Yeah. As, as I say, in terms of the follow-up, I mentioned one there on July 6th. Have, have you guys um, had more reaction than you anticipated in terms of leads to chase up? Um, no, I think, I mean, given the nature of the story and also we, we just sort of, we knew... <laughs> How do I put this? We knew that there were the allegations were widespread and involved multiple settings over multiple years, and they are all allegations. And we should put on the record as well that Dyson Hayden completely denies um, any inappropriate conduct in the High Court era elsewhere. 
mm-hmm. um, we knew that those allegations were widespread. So we sort of thought that probably, you know, putting out our stories would result in more people coming forward, um, which has happened. But then it's also, it also gets to a point with these kinds of things where you're like, well, you don't want to just make it, you don't want it to be a pile on, you don't want to sort of make it look like you're just persecuting someone. And also it's like, well, we've, if you've made your case, you've made your case, if you know what I mean, are mm-hmm. you adding anything, are you adding anything to the story or taking the story further by publishing more? Mm. Um, so that came into the mix in the follow-ups. And then I think it became more a story about institutional um, power and, um, you know, the, the misogyny or sexism that is built into the judiciary or the legal profession and the outraged reactions of a lot of women in the profession and, yeah, and just how we deal with sexual harassment as a society and how much of a blind eye we turn to it. And I think that those discussions are really worthwhile and that's the sort of, that's the good stuff. Yeah, it must be rewarding to see that the conversation turns in that direction, Jackie, instead of, as you say, just a pile on of one man, regardless of his transgressions, of course, but that it becomes a, a bigger discussion. Yeah, that's right. And um, and that's what I think has been really, really worthwhile about it. And that's when you see like, you know, all these, everybody else following up the story and like everybody else sort of commenting on the story and owning it. And that's, I don't think that's ever really happened to me before that. And that's, that's really cool when you see that happening. Um, Mm. And, you know, people in power having to answer questions and, you know, women in law being like, you know, this is, this is a really seismic sort of event and Mm. we're going to, use it to hopefully angle for some change. I wanted to get back to talking to these women um, through that period, Jackie, how for, for, again, for aspiring journos, for people who are looking to hone their interviewing skills, sensitive interviews like this, what, what are some key things to remember when you're conducting them? Um, I mean, like, I don't feel, I don't really feel like an, I'm an expert and I just feel like I'm bumbling my way through like everybody else, but um. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think you just like you've got to be really soft with people, right? Like you, you know, these are people who you're asking, you're hugely imposing upon them, even just for their time, let alone to ask them to tell you anything. So you've got to be soft and sensitive and listen and um, and not push, um, but just sort of try to try to glean as much possible information as you can. Um, in terms of dates and times and, you know, the specifics of allegations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, For credibility's sake? Yeah, and I, I think um, if, depending, you know, depending on the allegation or depending on what you're talking about, it's always, you know, good to ask for documents. So um, if they have any documents, if they told anyone at the time, if you might be able to talk to the people that they told, um, I did a bit of that. And it all helps with um, cross-referencing and corroboration, I suppose, because... I mean, I don't think anybody makes up this kind of stuff, um, but the more corroboration, the stronger your story is going to be. Investigative journalism more broadly has been uh, glamorised, I guess, somewhat in Hollywood over the years from Woodward and Bernstein through to Spotlight and more since. For those interested in getting into what you do, is that the reality or is it a, uh, a different life to that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't like, I, this is the thing. I don't consider myself an investigative journalist per se, because I do other stuff as well, but, um, and I'm not, I mean, I just don't feel like I'm in the league of like, you know, Nick McKenzie and, um, and Kate McClymon and, you know, those sort of really those, those people at our newspapers. Um, but, um, 
I guess the, the thing I would say about journalism and the, the, the bit of this kind of stuff that I have done is that um, it can be quite dispiriting. Like you, you go through periods when you're like, there's nothing, no one's going to talk to me, no one's going to go on the record. I've just spent like weeks chasing this thing and it's all going to come to nothing. What must my bosses think? You know, they probably think I've been spending my time at the beach. Um, you know, I've done all this work and I've got nothing to show for it. And I think that can be enormously frustrating. And you've got to have, I suppose, an inner resilience or an inner, like, I don't know, like bulldog or something to just keep going. Um, so it's an emotional roller coaster by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I was, it was really fun because I was working on, to be working on this with Kate. So we were always swapping notes. And we actually, weirdly, given the subject matter, had quite a lot of fun doing it because. Kate's a really delightful person. She's got a great sense of humour and we would, we would laugh a lot. But um, otherwise, I think if you're doing it on your own, it would be really terrifying and quite lonely because um, you're, and you're trying to manage a lot of different sources. And, you know, when you finish a story like this, it's not like you just can drop people and walk away. Um, and I'm sure, like, Louise Milligan, I, you know, I often think, like, she who's done so much work, or Joe Joe McCarthy, who um, won the Gold Walkley for um, exposing child sex abuse in the Catholic Church in sort of the Newcastle area. Um, and really, and she sparked a Royal Commission. She is still in touch with those people that she, you know, she's embedded in that community. You don't just write those stories and walk away. And they're very, very vulnerable people that um, that those two journalists have dealt with. So that I think would probably take quite an emotional toll as well on them and their families because you'd feel a huge responsibility to those people, I think. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned that you do other work as well, Jackie. This isn't exclusively what you do, but I was wondering, given the success and the widespread significance of this piece, have you got a taste for it now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fun. It's really fun. And it's really fun working with another journalist as well because I, um, I haven't done that in a while. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Like I've, I've got in mind a few other things that I would like to take a look at. So, yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll be doing that. Excellent. And I can't, uh, I can't let you go without asking you a, a hypothetical, which is a slightly different one this week. But uh, if you can insert yourself, let's say, smack bang in the middle of a deep investigation into any scandal in history, what do you choose and why? Oh, it's so hard. I mean, I guess Watergate is like the original and the best, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, it would, would have been so cool to be in America, in Washington, in that sort of viper's nest at that particular moment in history even just for kind of the characters and the fashion and stuff. Um, and everyone was smoking in their offices and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the ones that I admire, like I, I really actually really admire Joan jo McCarthy and the work that she did in Newcastle. Um, I'm not sure that I would, I don't know, I'm not sure that I would want to be, drop myself into it because I think it would have been so so painful and so difficult. But um, that was really admirable, admirable work, I think. Um, yeah, so maybe those two. <laughs> Excellent, Jackie. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Writer's Hour. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Adam.